0: I certainly appreciate the response so far that I've received from these services and going through the different chapters that describe the life of Joseph. Um, It's it's, it's turned out to be a a personal blessing for me to be able to do it. So I hope uh, the Lord will continue to guide and direct us and to bless us in it. When you read the life of Joseph, it's like reading the life of Christ. He's such an amazing type of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many different ways. When you read Genesis 37 through 50, it's like reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the life of Jesus, it's like reading the life of Joseph. Joseph being the type of Christ, Christ being the antitype of Joseph. Now, in our last service, we ended up in chapter 39. Notice the last verses of chapter 39. Looking in verse 21, 20 rather. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. Notice this is a particular prison. The prisoners of the king specifically were placed in this place. But the Lord was with Joseph. Now that's an extremely important expression, as we mentioned two weeks ago. It's found four different times in this 39th chapter, when Joseph was in the household of Potiphar as a servant, as he was sold to Potiphar by the Ishmaelites, the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keep of the prison. You notice the providence of God here. And the keep of the prison committed to Joseph's hand. All the prisoners were in the prison. That's a pretty miraculous, amazing thing here. Joseph is placed into prison, therefore, he's a prisoner. And yet, there's something about this man that God brought him into favor with the keeper of the prisoner. And he, now he's going to make him the head, you might say, of the prisoners there. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Hope you can see. The obvious here. The blessings of the Lord in the life of Joseph. If Joseph is in prison, but Jesus is with him. Yes, Joseph is in prison, but God hasn't forsaken him. As we read in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, God will never leave us nor forsake us. We see this right here, no matter what we're going through. uh, No matter what the situation is, the circumstances, we can always have the promise and the assurance that the Lord will be with us. So the Lord is with him. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius, he presented Jesus in his message to him and said that he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with the power of the Holy Spirit and that he delivered those that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now that's said about Jesus. God the Father was with his Son who also was God manifest in the flesh. And I believe my experience tells me that God has been with me and I believe you can say the same thing As you look back at your experiences in life, some of the difficulties you've had to go through, some of the problems you've had to face in life, how could you have faced them? How could you have got through the difficulties had not God literally been with you to give you the strength and to give you the courage and give you the wisdom that you stood in need of? So the Lord prospered his efforts while he was there. Now, Joseph was in prison because of false accusations. The Lord Jesus Christ was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane and brought into the courts of judgment of Pilate on the basis of false accusations. We do not read where Joseph said anything in his defense. That's quite miraculous. You've got to believe that he did, but there's nothing recorded about it. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, we find when the Lord Jesus Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. He kept the prophecy of Isaiah 53 when he says, for he should be led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb to the slaughter, open not his mouth. So he opened not his mouth. You'll find where Jesus offered no defense. No defense at all as he was taken and again, tried on the basis of false accusation. So both men are delivered into the hands really of Gentiles based on false accusations, false witnesses that uh, you know, could not be proven. Neither one opened their mouth in their defense. Now, as we look in chapter 40, we're going to read about an experience of a man that's going to be in prison for some length of time past two years. Now, as I read about other people in the Bible who spent time in prison, I read of Paul in Acts chapter 16, but he spent one night there in jail with the Philippian jailer. I read in Acts chapter 12 where the apostle Peter spent one night in prison in chains. I find where Daniel spent uh, a night in prison, where his prison was a den of lions. And the Hebrew children were in prison for a while in a fiery furnace. (laughs) They didn't have, you know, uh, in your typical thinking of a jail cell, they were in a fiery furnace. And Daniel's in the den of lions. Now, Peter was in a literal jail, and so was Paul, but they spent a short period of time in there. Joseph will not spend a short time in prison. He will spend at least two years, two years plus, in this prison here, and he's done nothing worthy of that. He's not guilty of any crime to be placed into this prison He's there by false accusations based upon the wife of Potiphar who lied against him, falsely accused him, and making advances toward her when it was her eyes that were the eyes of adulterers. So we begin in chapter 40, and this chapter is going to describe the prison experience of Joseph. It came to pass after these things that the butler, the king of Egypt, and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, against the chief of the bakers. Here are two very important men uh, to, you know, to, uh, to the king of Egypt. Uh, the butler was the, literally the cup barrel. Remember, when you read the book of Nehemiah, that's what Nehemiah was he was a cup barrel. That was a very important position, not one I really would want to have because literally uh, they stood between the king and death. They tasted the wine that was presented to the king. Unless someone should try to assassinate the king and poison the king, then they would drink the wine first. And if they didn't fall over, they didn't get sick, then the king felt it was okay to drink the wine. So that's what their job was. How would you like to have that job? That's not a job that I would want. Uh, But the butler lived very close to the king, and this is important. He was next to the king, had access to the king. So two of his most important officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, have offended Pharaoh. Now we don't know what the offense was. We're not told just the fact that they offended the king. And he's going to place them into prison. Pharaoh is wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward, which means in prison, in the house of the captain of the guard, into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. Interesting how they're going to wind up in the very same place that Joseph is. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he went through his trial and was declared to be guilty, and we find the verdict of condemnation is placed upon him, and now he's going to be crucified. He's led away uh, from there, and he's going to go up Calvary, and he's going to be carrying his own cross for a portion of the way. At this point, we just see Jesus going on top of that mountain to be crucified. But we know as He's placed upon that cross, He's not alone. There's going to be two more with Him. And we find the prophecy that's found in Isaiah, chapter 53, the last verse, verse 12, coming to pass, where it says, He shall be numbered with the transgressors. Here are two transgressors in the life of Jesus. Both of them identified as thieves, called malefactors. And they were guilty of being thieves. There's no question about that. We find Joseph here is numbered with the transgressors. The butler and the baker have transgressed. I don't know what the transgression was, but whatever it was, it offended the king so much that he put these two men in ward in the prison of the king, and it just happened to be in the very same place where Joseph was. Now, as we continue reading this, and I'm going to get just a little bit ahead of myself. We're going to find where both these men are going to have a dream. And you're going to find where Joseph is going to pronounce a positive thing concerning one man and a negative thing concerning the other. He's going to tell ahead of time that the butler is going to be restored to his position. But he's also going to tell that the baker is not going to be, the baker is going to be hanged. When I look at the Lord Jesus Christ over here in his life when he's on the cross, there there are two thieves. And when you read the account that we have here, the crucifixion of Christ and the crucifixion of the two thieves, we find the first account we read is where both thieves railed against Jesus. They both did. They both railed against him. When we come to Luke's account, we find that sometime after this took place, in a very short period of time, there's a change that takes place in one man. A miraculous change. The same change that occurred in my life sometime in the past. The same change that occurred in your life sometime in the past. A miraculous change. My change and your change is no more miraculous or less miraculous than, than the other. It's exactly the same. And what I'm talking about here, our heart was taken out. That hard and stony heart and it was placed with a heart of flesh. We were born from above. We were born again. We were born in the Spirit of God. And we were delivered from a state of death and sin to a state of life in Christ. That's a miraculous change. My change, just like your change. Your change is like my change. I had nothing to do with my change, you had nothing to do with your change. It's by free and sovereign grace. We were blessed to be the objects of God's grace, were we not? God foreknew us and chose us, he elected before time ever began. And at God's own appointed time we find where it pleased God to touch our hearts, change our hearts, did an inward work that man's laws and commandments could never do. We mentioned Sunday how uh, all the ordinances of the Old Covenant, that tabernacle never could change the inward man, never could change uh, his heart and his mind and his conscience. Only the blood of Christ could do that. Only the Spirit of Christ could do such a thing as that. So we find, find both these men railing on the Lord Jesus Christ but we read Luke's account. And one of those thieves turned to the other thief and rebuked him and said, we get what we deserve. This man has done nothing to be on this cross for. What brought about that change? (laughs) Well, there's only one explanation for that. The grace of God went into operation. That thief was an object of God's love. Now, it wasn't manifest until the 11th hour. At the 11th hour this man's about to leave this world, the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken unto him, not in a voice that's recorded for us in the Gospels. When the Lord spoke to me and the Lord spoke to you, I don't think you heard an audible voice, did you? I didn't hear one. John five twenty five describes it like this: "Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live." Now that's a miracle. The dead hear. How can the dead hear? We always say the dead can't hear, the dead can't see, the dead can't taste, the dead can't walk. <laughs> they can't. Dead can't do anything, and that's true. But God miraculously enables the dead to do something the dead normally could not do. And that is hear the voice of the Son of God, which is a life quickening voice. And the thief, after hearing that voice, rebukes the other thief. And then he turns to the Savior. And he says to Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus then turned and said unto him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I've said this before, that's just a little bit more grace than some people want to hear. (laughs) just a little bit more grace than some people can handle. But not me. (laughs) But not me. That that thief in my own nature, that thief's nature is one and the same. Uh, That thief was in the same condemnation I was in. I deserve no more to hear the voice of the Son of God than he did and vice versa. When he heard the voice of the Son of God, I heard the voice of the Son of God and my heart was changed, my mind was changed, my life was changed and so was yours. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ pronounced a deliverance to one. He pronounced no deliverance to the other. Joseph is going to prophesy of a deliverance for one, but not to the other. So Jesus, as he was numbered with the transgressors, so we find Joseph numbered with the transgressors here in the prison. Verse 5, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked upon them, behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's offers with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you so sadly today? What does this tell me about Joseph? It tells me that Joseph was a caring man. Joseph comes in, he sees a sad countenance. He sees these two men are very sad. He's interested in that. How many times do you read in the Gospels where Jesus did that? I'll just go to one, the last part of Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the multitudes. The Bible says he had compassion upon them. He had compassion upon the multitudes. He says, the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers of few pray you therefore that the Lord of the harvest might send forth laborers into the harvest. If you read carefully in the four gospels, you're going to find where the Lord Jesus Christ time and time again saw someone and said, the Lord looked upon him. The Lord had compassion. The Lord cared. That's what Joseph is a picture of right here. And Jesus is a picture of what Joseph is right here. Joseph sees these two men. They've had these two dreams. Neither one knows what the dreams mean. And they're somewhat troubled about it. And they, you know, dreams got Joseph in trouble in the beginning, it, right? Back in Genesis 37, when he had the two dreams, there was a the sun and the moon and 11 stars, and how the moon and the stars all bowed down to the sun. And there was the, you know, the sheaves in the field, and how the uh, 11 of the sheaves bowed down to one sheep. Those two dreams got Joseph in trouble. It's what stirred up the envy and the hatred and the brothering of Joseph in the very beginning that caused them to turn upon him and to place him into that pit and eventually sell him, you know, to the Ishmaelites, thinking they had gotten rid of him forever. Now we haven't read anything about his brothering since that chapter, but we're going to read some about them later on. <laughs> okay, uh, they're going to come back into the picture later on in Joseph's life. Right now they're not in the picture. We're looking really straight here in the life of Joseph. And Joseph is in a place I wouldn't want to be. Joseph is in prison. Joseph doesn't deserve to be in prison. Potiphar's wife lied concerning him. She falsely accused him. He had no trial. He had no due process. He's just placed in there based upon her word against his word. And we don't even find where, you know, he spoke up as I've already mentioned. And so Potiphar placed him in prison. He could have had him killed, but he didn't. That's the providence of God as well. Now, when Joseph is in prison, if you read the Genesis account here, it might look like Joseph was on house arrest. I can assure you, he was not. In the book of Acts chapter 7, you'll find where Stephen is given a summary of the history of the nation of Israel and he comes to the time of the life of Joseph. In Acts 7 verses 9 and 10, We're going to read where it says, But God delivered him, Joseph, out of all his afflictions. He delivered him out of all his afflictions. Well, that tells me then that in prison, Joseph had some afflictions. Joseph just wasn't in a halfway house, Joseph wasn't on house arrest. When he was placed in prison, even though he was elevated to the position he's in, sometime prior to that, he went through some very serious and hard times in prison. In fact, Psalms 105 gives us more details. Let's let's turn to that. Psalms 105, and this is a very good example that when you're reading something, you need to search and see if something's said about that event or that person in other places in the Bible. Let's go to Psalms 105 and we begin in verse 16. Moreover, he—that's God—called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. Now that we're going to get into that later, but there's going to come a period of time where there's going to be seven years of famine. Now there were seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years of famine, and the Bible says God called for it. It just didn't happen. In other words. It just wasn't a dry season that uh, happens every now and then, you know, when people plant their crops in one thing and another. Farmers always have the risk of a a drought. Uh, If you've ever, I remember as as a young boy being on the tobacco farm, and it was a hot time and a dry time, this particular uh, tobacco season. And finally, Dad decided to invest in an irrigation system. And I remember the very day, I can see it now, they was bringing the irrigation pipes out. And as they got there to deliver them, it started raining. <laughs> I just wish it had rained a little earlier because that was hard work putting those pipes down. And it was not only hard, it, but it was during the middle of the summer, those pipes got really hot under the sun and as you move those pipes from one section of the field to the other you had to disconnect them put them on your shoulder a very long piece of pipe and just hot as can be and you had to juggle them on your shoulder because you just couldn't put your hands on them and keep them due to the heat of it and then if it didn't rain you'd water one portion of the field you'd have to get them up and move them to another section of the field, another section of the field. And when you got through, if it hadn't rained, you had to start all over again. It was really hard work. Boy, I tell you, uh, I, I paid good attention to the sky and the clouds in that day. I was looking for a cloud all the time. I was looking for that cloud Elijah saw on Mount Carmel, but I never did see one quite like that. But anyway, it says the Lord called for it. That means the Lord providentially purposely brought seven straight years of famine. Now, you can read in other portions of the Bible, when God brought judgment, he oftentimes did it for a period of seven years. He brought a plague for seven years. He brought disease for seven years. He punished the nation of Israel for their transgressions for a period of seven years. That's going to be seven years of famine. It says he broke the staff of bread. That's simply an Old Testament expression. It means that the food supply got real scarce. It got real scarce. Moby called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them. Notice this, even Joseph. He says that God sent Joseph. Now, God's down in Egypt because his brothers, out of envy and hatred, sell him to the Ishmaelites. But this text says God sent him. God working behind the scenes in his providence is going to send Joseph. Down there it says, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Does that sound like uh, he had it easy? (laughs) Does that sound like he was on house arrest right there? See, that's not recorded in Genesis. That's not recorded in Genesis chapter 40. It's recorded here in Psalms 105. Now, fetters were feet shackles. Shackles upon the feet his feet, they hurt, they hurt, not just put them like it says, they hurt with fetters. They probably own, I can imagine, extremely tight. He was laid in iron. If you'll read the middle portion of your Bible, if you have a Bible that has that, you'll read where it says, His soul came into iron. This is more than just something outward, this is also something inward. The Lord Jesus Christ was delivered to Pilate's judgment hall by the Jewish people, by the Jewish leaders there he went through a mock trial and after the mock trial he was stripped of his garments and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head and we find where his back was opened up as he was scourged, he was blindfolded he was buffeted, he was smitten they struck him with great viciousness and then they take him to Calvary and he's hung on a wooden cross on a tree and nails will go through his hands, and nails will go through his feet, and a sword will pierce his side. We see all the outward outward agony and pain and suffering Jesus went through. What we do not see is what he suffered inwardly in his soul. I'm telling you, his soul was laid in iron because he was taking the sins of his people that God gave him before time ever began. He was taking their sins, his own body, to the tree of the cross. He's carrying the weight. He's carrying the burden. No, Joseph was not on house arrest. I can assure you, his soul was laid in iron. He was bound. He was hurt with fetters, with foot shackles. But I want to read to you from Psalms 39, 34, verses 9 and 10. It says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, I know he's talking specifically about Jesus based on the next verse. Verse. It says, because a bone of his body was not broken. Psalms 34, 9, and 10. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. There's never been a more righteous one than Jesus, right? And his afflictions were many, but God delivered him out of all his afflictions. Just like it says here concerning Joseph in Acts 7, 9, and 10. God delivered him out of all his afflictions. But verse 10 there in Psalms 34 says, not a bone of his body was broken. That has reference to Jesus. We can see then how that Joseph is a picture and type of Jesus in this regard, and Jesus being the antitype. Why was not a bone of his body broken? You would think the nails going through his hands would have broken a bone, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think nails going through the feet of a man would break a bone? But but miraculously, it did not. God guided those nails where a bone was not broken in his hands and also in his feet, and the sword that pierced his side did not break a rib, did not break a bone. If it had the prophecy would not have been fulfilled and the Word of God would have been broken and that's an impossibility, you see. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad it's impossible for God's Word to be broken? Aren't you glad it's impossible that every word that we find here in the Bible is divinely inspired and divinely preserved and you can count on it, you can rely on it, you can trust in it, you can receive assurance from it. You may not understand it, but you can believe it. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't understand that I believe. I believe in electricity, even though I don't see it. I believe in it. I tell you, I'm not sticking my finger in no socket. <laughs> Why? I can't see that electricity, I know it's there. <laughs> There's a little thing been going around for about a year and a half that I can't see. I'm convinced it's there, right? I'm convinced it's there. I don't have to understand something fully to believe in it. We find that Joseph is in prison here. His feet have been hurt with fetters, with foot shackles. His soul has been laid in iron Stephen says, the Lord delivered him out of all his afflictions. What all the afflictions were. If there were more, that's just not recorded. Whatever they were, God delivered him out of all of them. Not just some of them, but he delivered him out of all of them. And you know, the Lord's delivered you out of all your afflictions thus far in life. And you say, well, Brother Lawrence, I still got some afflictions. Well, just get a little time. Time will be here when God will take care of them too. <laughs> I can assure you, <laughs> he'll take care of them too. There's coming a time you're going to be delivered out of all your afflictions. Be a good day, won't it? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 40. So we see how they, uh, Joseph is pictured as a caring mind, he had caring eyes. And then we get to verse 8 they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Now Joseph is about to interpret these dreams. But before he does, what does he say? Do not interpretations belong to God. This shows the humility of Joseph. And the Bible says that humility, just like pride, goeth before destruction, humility goeth before honor. And before long, Joseph is going to be honored. Joseph is going to be delivered out of this prison. Well, it's going to be two years from now, but he's going to be delivered. Humility goes before honor, just like pride goes before destruction. When you see somebody walking in pride, it's just a matter of time before they're going to fall. But we see humility here in the life of Joseph. And of course we see humility in the life of Jesus. And the greatest act of his humility is recorded for us in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought not to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. But he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he came as a man, and he humbled himself, the Bible says. He humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Humility is being obedient to the will of God. It's not a certain posture that a person has. <laughs> I've seen people, you know, uh, you know maybe they were kind of all, they kind of bowed over. They'd walk, bowed over purposely, thinking that was displaying humility. That was just displaying pride. <laughs> That's all that was. That's not humility. Humility is obedience. This dear brother I thought the world of many years ago, he meant well when he said this. He told my wife, he says, uh, you know, I'm about the most humblest man I know of around here. <laughs> she said, Brother Jim, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> you let other people say that about you, you don't say it about yourself. <laughs> oh, me. Anyway, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. And now we're going to find the details of these dreams are given to us. So why are the details given to us? Could have just said they dreamed a dream of peace. But God gave us the details. The chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was though it budded and her blossoms shot forth and the clusters there brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. I read about another cup in the New Testament, don't you? I read where the Lord Jesus Christ took the fruit of the vine. It was in a cup. He passed to his disciples, telling them this was his blood, which was shed for them. I read in 1 Corinthians uh, Chapter um, 12, I believe it is, where the Apostle Paul is relating the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the very night he was betrayed, he took bread. And then he speaks about the wines. Says how he took the cup. And the grapes, the juice is, is pressed into the cup. That's a picture of sufferings. That reminds me of what Jesus did for me. That reminds me of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joseph said unto him, This is an interpretation of the three branches of three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou was his brother. We notice here these two transgressors that Joseph speaks favorably to one. Just like Jesus spoke to the thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He says, but notice this, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. It's gonna be well with you and when it is, think on me. Show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing, that they should put me into the dungeon. Now we have the place where, Jesus, where Joseph is described to us. It's a dungeon. He said, I've done nothing that I should be in the dungeon. He's asking the butler. He knows the butler will be next to the King. He knows the butler will have access to the ear of the king and perhaps the butler can say something favorable on his behalf. Now the only thing wrong about this and I'm not criticizing Joseph. I've done the same thing. The only thing wrong about this is Joseph is asking man to help get him out of there. And man will fail you every time. Okay, remember this. For indeed I was stolen away, etc. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds that eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof, the three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree and the birds shall eat thy flesh from all thee. Can you imagine getting that interpretation if you're the chief baker? Once again, we see that Joseph was numbered with the transgressors. He pronounced a favorable prophecy about one, but not about the other. The Lord Jesus Christ is numbered with the transgressions on the cross. He speaks of the deliverance for one, but says nothing about the other. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Now, there are two birthdays listed in the Bible. You know, when we have a birthday, we always sing at lunchtime to those who've had a birthday. And we like to think of our birthday as being a a wonderful time, remembering God bring us in this world, and he's blessed us to live another year. And I think that's all great and good. I don't want you to ever forget mine, August 1st. Okay? But in the Bible, there's two birthdays that's listed, and disaster took place both times. Here's one of them. The other one is the birthday of Herod, the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a festival, it was a celebration in both times. But the celebration here, we find where the chief baker, and by the way, it's a picture of works because he presents unto Pharaoh a basket full of baked meats he had his hand in, he produced it, it's a picture of his labors, his works. And in the case of Herod, we find where Herodias' daughter dances before, before um, Herod, and he's so impressed, he promises to give her her request. And what's her request? The head of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded at the birthday celebration of Herod. The chief butler, or baker, is going to be hung on a tree in the celebration of the birthday of Pharaoh. And he restored the chief butler into his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker. And Joseph had interpreted to them. Everything Joseph said came to pass, didn't it? Surely that ought to remind you of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in Matthew 24, we find it also recorded in Mark and Luke. Where the Lord and Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, as he's given a prophecy about some things that's going to take pl- place in the near future, he says, uh, uh, this generation shall not pass away till these things happen. He says, now heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Not one word Jesus ever spoke passed away. He never spake any words of vain that were vain. He never spoke any words uh, that were foolish. Every word that Jesus spoke were words of truth and words of wisdom, and heaven and earth may pass away. Now, how could you appeal to anything greater than that? Heaven and earth, that seems to be kind of permanent, doesn't it? But there's coming a day in which the heavens and the earth are going to uh, be dissolved with fire. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, they shall never pass. Pass away. And Joseph, exactly what he said, came to pass. And then verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. (laughs) How could that be? This always reminds me of a little story that you'll find recorded. I encourage you to go home tonight before you go to bed. Go home and read. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The last verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I think it's verses 13 through 18. And here we find Solomon, the man of great wisdom, is speaking about the importance of wisdom. And he says, there was a little city and there was a great king that besieged that little city. And he came against that city and built great bulwarks against the city. Now, this king, this great king, was not great because he was good. This king was great in evil, in wickedness, and in power. And this wicked, evil king, this powerful, evil, wicked king, comes against this little city. He builds these bulwarks against it and surrounds the city. But in that city is a poor wise man. And the Bible says, by the words and the wisdom of the poor wise man, the city was delivered but the poor wise man was not remembered. Now in the Bible, the word city is oftentimes re- used in reference to God's church and his kingdom or to even to his people. You come over to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews and he says, for you've come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels, to the church of the living God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you come unto. Psalms 48, 1, Great is the Lord and great to be praised in the city of our God. And so Abraham was what? By faith he was looking for what? He was looking for a city, was he not? And that's that eternal city. But there's a representation of that eternal city right here on this earth called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which I believe the primitive Baptist, the old Baptists, have the identity of. Yes, and we're small. And that little city was despised. Here's this great, wicked, evil king coming against this little city, but on the inside of this city is a poor, wise man. And there's never been a poorer man than Jesus Christ or a wiser man than Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, the apostle Paul says, For we know the grace of God, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we through his poverty, that for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich, it says he was rich. Never has one ever been any more rich than Jesus. But he laid it aside and became poor. And never has there been anybody any poorer than Jesus was here in this world. He was wrapped in swallowing clothes and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And all throughout the life of Jesus, he's a picture of poverty. And yet he, according to Colossians 2, 3, in him he hid all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. He's wisdom personified He was a poor, wise man within the city, and the city was delivered by the poor, wise man. And he goes on to emphasize the importance of wisdom. Let me tell you, you may be the poorest of the poor. You may be, you know, uh, looked down upon. You may be despised here in this world, but if God has blessed you with wisdom, he's given you the most powerful weapon that there is. He's given you the ability with wisdom to know how to live your life. How to have peace and happiness when other people are in turmoil? That have far more than you, but they're in turmoil, turmoil, and chaos because they don't have the wisdom. This city is delivered by the wisdom of this poor man. Yet the poor man was forgotten. How many times is Jesus forgotten? The poorest of the poor, the wisest of the wise. When we have communion. What's it say on the communion table? This do what? In remembrance of me. We're remembering Jesus, aren't we? I trust we're remembering Jesus tonight. We remember Jesus when you're baptized. You're remembering Jesus. He's the one who died for you and uh, was buried for you. And you're when you're baptized, you're laid beneath the liquid grave, as they say, and you're raised, arise, to, to walk in newness of life. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, you're remembering Jesus. When we meet in worship, when we sing the hymns of Zion and have prayer and the proclamation of the gospel, we're remembering Jesus. Whenever you leave here, when I've got through preaching, I don't want you to remember me, I want you to remember Jesus. <laughs> That's who I want you to remember. When we fail to give thanks at the table of food, you know what we've just done? We've forgotten Jesus. If you fail to remember him in prayer and Thanksgiving at breakfast and lunch and supper, you've forgotten Jesus. If we willfully miss assembling ourselves together in the house of God, when we could be here, we have forgotten Jesus. There's so many ways that we can forget Jesus. Let's not do that. Let's don't forget the poor wise man, right? Who delivered the city. I'm telling you, we have deliverance tonight in your life and the prospects of the ultimate deliverance of leaving this world one day and meet with the Lord in glory when he'll deliver you from this vain, and perishable world and the one who's delivered you is that poor of the poor and the wisest of the wise. Let's don't forget him. Let's don't forget him. Oftentimes, when I would go to the hospital, which have been greatly restricted here in the last year and a half, but go to the hospital when someone's having surgery. As a general rule, we'll always have prayer with the individual, the family. And and I noticed whenever the surgery is over, and the doctor came in and gave the report, and, and thankfully as a rule, it's always been a good report. And everybody is happy to get that good report. I noticed a lot of times they'd forget Jesus. And so I I'd, I'd say, I'd start saying, listen, let's have a word of thanksgiving. Let's don't forget Jesus. We prayed to him in the beginning that he'd be with you as a patient. We, we prayed to him he'd be with the doctor. We prayed he'd bless the, all those in attendance. We prayed that he would be in the arrangement. He'd be the great physician that would oversee the surgery. And now he'd done that. He's blessed. he has been delivered. Let's don't forget him. Let's don't forget him. And when we leave this house tonight... If you feel like the Lord's been here, if you feel like the Lord is blessed, let's don't forget Him. It's only with Him that we can feel these blessings. Without Him, we never can. Right? So let's don't forget Him. The butler forgot Joseph. Now, just for a little preview as we go to chapter 41, (laughs) something's gonna happen, the butler's gonna remember Joseph but it's going to take two years to do it. Over two years before he remembers Joseph. Uh, a little preview. <laughs> so, when we move from chapter 40, obviously we're going to go to chapter 41. <laughs> okay. So, uh, read the rest of it to chapter 50, but we'll focus on chapter 41, Lord willing, as far as I know right now, in two weeks from tonight. Thank you so much for your attendance and your attention this